When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back. Episode 29 of Podcast Royal. We have a jam-packed episode for you today. Randomly, there was tons of royal news this week. And I am so excited to welcome, drumroll please, royal (laughs) expert Victoria Murphy to the show to take us inside the current exhibit at Kensington Palace, royal style in the making. Uh, We have so much to talk about today but first the royal rundown and even before that a look into what jessica and i are into this week so jessica what are you into this week and how in the world are you hey i am doing great um i have kind of another funny one this week i guess so this week i am really into pressure washing um, You're never going to find me liking fruits <laughs> or home activities, but that is, again, so on brand for you. So I'm a little behind on it this year, but um, if listeners have not already checked this out, you can go on, you know, different social media websites and look up pressure washing videos. And it's like a thing right now because it's so like therapeutic to watch these pressure washer washers, like clean off these different areas. And anyway, um, I ended up getting one. My, my dad surprised me with a pressure washer and I've been wanting to try it. And I pressure washed my walkway this weekend and it was pretty fun. I have to I will admit. say pressure washing <laughs> is therapeutic because you get to watch it all like just just it, it is it is in a in a very strange way very satisfying. I will it is. That. I will okay well mine is not pressure washing. So I'm going to like I don't know if my picks are just really lame or if they're really cool I'm not really sure what scale we're judging them on here but if you like healthy food and home renovations and home projects Jessica is your girl if you like uh, movies and television then I guess I'm your girl so mine this week is I just watched this weekend Grace of Monaco with Nicole Kidman playing Grace Kelly have you seen that I haven't. I'm very intrigued though. So, okay. This is back in 2014 or 2013. Nicole Kidman plays Grace Kelly and this movie is good. It's very good, but I don't feel like it got a lot of buzz. And then Naomi Watts, who they're actually best friends in real life, played Diana. And that movie was just okay, but this movie is really good. And, you know, we've talked about Monaco on the show before, and I'm watching this movie and it's on Hulu for those that have it. And that's where I was watching it. And I'll tell you what, there are a lot of parallels between, which of course, I guess I could have figured out, 
mm-hmm. an American actress marrying a European prince. But there are a lot of parallels between Grace Kelly's story and Megan's story. And so I recommend that movie to all royal fans. It's on Hulu. I don't know how long it will be there. Sometimes Hulu only keeps their movies on for a month, but I know it's there right now. It's called Grace of Monaco, Nicole Kidman playing Grace Kelly. And it's a great movie. It's a beautiful cinematography, beautifully shot movie. And the dialogue is just good. And so I don't know how I've never really heard of it before now, especially since that is the kind of movie back in 2014 or 2013, I would have for sure gone to see in theaters. So well, I'm going to add that one to my list. That sounds good. really good. And I've never thought of this before, but now that you mention it, I feel like I can see Nicole Kidman playing a really good Grace Kelly. Yeah, she's great. I mean, it's Nicole Kidman. She can do no wrong. Also, we will talk about this when Victoria comes on, which we are so excited about. Victoria is so lovely and we are so happy to continue to have guests. We've got two more in the hopper that we can't wait to tell you about. But um, Victoria is the lead commenter or lead expert on another Hulu feature. I think it's called The American Royal Baby, and it's about Lily. Have you seen that yet? We were talking about this last week, actually. Um, It's on my list, too. I feel like I've been so busy lately. I have not been up on my Hulu and Netflix, so I'll have to add that one. so busy pressure washing that (laughs) you haven't had time for for the necessities in life like Hulu. So, yeah. So, add listeners, if you love the Royals, which if you don't, then why on earth are you here? But uh, add Grace of Monaco with Nicole Kidman and then the American Royal Baby, which is an ABC News documentary. It's about 45 minutes long. And our guest today, Victoria Murphy, is on there with Omid Scobie, who else? Tons of royal experts. And they're talking about Lily. So that's what's my cool thing this week. So, so I'm, I'm in, I guess I'm going to need to come correct and like do something around my house and come with that next week or like buy a really good vegetable or fruit at the grocery store. So I I was just sitting here thinking of, uh, all of the cool movies and stuff I need to get caught up on because you're right. I have, um, been neglecting all of the cool shows that are, that are coming out lately. Yeah. And tonight after we're recording this on Monday, June 14th, the Housewife and the Hustler is on Hulu, which is about Erica Jane, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And that's going to be my Monday night. So get ready, world. That's my Monday night. So, okay. We have way too much to talk about on the Royal Rundown to stay on Hulu. So the Royals are back at work and just as I like to see them in their element. So of course, this weekend, if you are following along at all, the Queen has been busy, busy, busy. She welcomed world leaders to the G7 Economic Summit in Cornwall alongside Charles and Camilla and William and Kate. On Friday, Her Majesty hosted a reception at the Eden Project Environmental and Education site and then headed off to a second party for the Big Lunch Initiative with Camilla and Kate, where Her Majesty cut a cake with a sword 
as she absolutely should. Did you see that? <laughs> yes. I want to talk about this event for a second. Um, so yeah. first of all, I really loved it. I enjoyed looking at the photos. It looked like a fun event. And I don't know if listeners noticed the Union Jack bunting that they had strung up, but it felt so festive. And I actually felt like I was watching an episode of the Great British Baking Show. Did you, did you see that, Rachel? Did you get that vibe? So I've, okay, don't, don't kick me off the podcast, but I've never seen the great British baking show. Oh my gosh. Okay. So now I have one up on you. Yeah. That, that needs to be added to my list. Was it on Hulu? It's on Netflix. Netflix. Okay. All right. You got it. So see, we all, all right. have things to add to our queue. Well, okay. So back to this event. Um, first I want to say too, all three women killed it with their fashion. Yes. Um, all, you know, Kate, her majesty and Camilla all looked great. Um, which I know you want to talk about that later. Um, but her majesty's floral print dress, I just really loved. It was so cheery. It had, uh, these pink and green colors in it. It kind of looked like maybe carnations or something on her dress. And I thought she looked really great. She seemed to be really happy to me and she seemed, uh, like she was enjoying being you know, back at work and socializing with other people. Um, and, and I was also going to mention the sword, Rachel. I thought that was funny. I don't know if listeners caught that or not, but she was trying to cut into this cake with this like sort of like a miniature sword, I guess. And she actually had trouble doing it. And I saw Camilla kind of reach in and grab it with her and help her cut the cake. And I just thought that was a really cool moment, moment to see them and, and Kate kind of all interacting together. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just so good to see them out and maskless and just doing their job as they want to. And okay, I have said this for a long time. I don't know if I've ever said this on the show, but whoever is dressing Camilla is doing a great job. She is so, she might be one of the most well-dressed royals there is. She is just impeccably well-dressed. And we'll talk about Kate's, uh, Kate wore a special piece of jewelry this weekend but speaking of Kate she had an outing with the first lady at a preschool in Cornwall on Friday meeting school children and adorably feeding rabbits with Dr. Biden the two ladies took part in a roundtable discussion where Kate's work with the first five years was highlighted and Dr. Biden of course is an educator herself so it was a meaningful conversation for both and at the discussion, Kate said she is committed to this for the long term and that she is really interested in how we can best prepare the next generation to become parents themselves. So actually, the focus isn't on parenting itself, but actually, how can we give them the tools so they are having their babies and raising their children with these greater tools? And for her part, Dr. Biden said, this is such a fascinating discussion, and I think we are moving in the right direction. So I love seeing Kate in what I call her genius zone, working on her passion project. So Jessica, what was your take on this event? Well, I agree with you. I think it just really highlighted Kate's commitment to this project. I love that we keep revisiting it. So the public is reminded of her continued efforts here. You know, it's not just a PR move. She's not just showing up at schools and smiling for photos. You can really tell that she's got this passion for this project and she's interested in making an impact here. Um, and I think if they continue to just show substance on this project. Um, I think as it evolves, it will just continue to, to get support. Yeah. And we're going to talk in a moment about what happened on Saturday, Kate and 
uh, the first lady released an op-ed on CNN, but we'll get to that in a second. But at the round table, Kate was asked about Lilibet Diana, to which she replied, quote, I wish her all the very best. I can't wait to meet her because I haven't yet met her. So hopefully that will be soon. And she sounded very cheerful and optimistic. And it would not be us if we didn't talk Kate fashion for a moment. So eagle-eyed observers noticed that at the Friday evening reception, when she was in white, Kate wore a piece of Diana's jewelry, a three-strand pearl diamond bracelet. Did you notice that bracelet? I did. And I was actually going to ask you if you had a favorite look of Kate's over this weekend, if, if there was a dress you preferred. or I mean, that's tough because Kate is just killing it lately. I mean, that white dress moment was was beautiful. The Alexander McQueen at the elementary school was beautiful. She just, I mean, she's Kate. She's just so, she just can't do any wrong. And um, yeah, I I, what was your favorite? Well, I agree. I mean, I think she always looks great. I've got to go with the white dress and the nude heels and that like, uh, I guess I think it was like a vintage clutch or something that she was carrying. Um, it was just a stunning outfit and she carried it very well. Um, the red dress she had on, I was not as big of a fan as that one. Normally I love everything she wears. Um, I felt, I felt like from a distance, it looked pretty good. Um, but up close, I, I wasn't a really big fan of all the details and features on the dress. I don't know. It just wasn't a favorite of mine. Okay. So back to the white dress for a moment. So she was wearing those nude heels, right? Those were, were Aquazura heels and that is a favorite of Megan's. And so a lot of people in the community of, um, you know, what are the, the duchesses wearing are saying, and who knows if this is true, we, we you know, read and, and I'm talking about myself, I read into things probably way more than I should, but a lot of people are saying maybe that's kind of like an olive branch or a nod to Megan, a nod of support, a gesture of support by wearing literally the exact same heels that Megan has worn. I mean, they're, I just say they're cute shoes, but they, uh, for whatever it is, she looked great. So, and another quick Kate aside that I want to throw in here on the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge's YouTube channel, which I am obsessed with. I like constantly troll it for new updates. Kate shared that her kids get sick of her taking photos of them sometimes saying, everyone's like, mommy, please stop taking photographs, which is just so relatable. Yeah, that, you know, really makes me laugh. And it reminds me of my own family when we get together. So we're kind of all spread across the US and various states. And when we all actually are in one place, I feel like there's always so much picture taking that we kind of have this joke of, oh my gosh, not another photo, you know, but, you know, when you look back after the event, you're always so happy to have them. And I know the Cambridge kids will appreciate Kate's hobby, especially when they're adults and they look back and they have Mm -hmm. those photos. But I had to ask you, Rachel, which one of the kids do you think hates the camera the most? Ooh, okay. It's not Louie because Louie is always (laughs) hamming it up in front of the camera. And so is Charlotte. I think it's probably George. I think George just does not have time for this, but here's the thing. The kids are going to have their photograph taken right by somebody. So it might as well be their mom. Right. And, and I think that's really special. And Um, I read an interview this week that uh, talking about the photo of um, 
William and the three kids on the swing on the tree swing. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. And the, and I believe it was Arthur Edwards, the photographer that said this, and it was on one of our, um, one of the other Royal podcasts that we love and we listen to. And he said, that is a shot I wish I could have taken, but only a mother could have gotten that shot out of the kids. Uh, just the way that they were looking at her so cheeky and like, you don't, when you're a kid, you know, it takes a while to warm up to someone behind the camera, except when it's your mom. And so, mm-hmm. um, I just think that's, that's so relatable. And so on Saturday, I believe it was after their visit to the school, the first lady and Kate wrote a joint op-ed for CNN. And in part, it says, quote, the two of us met on Friday in Cornwall, gathering early childhood education experts from both of our countries together in the southwesternmost corner of the UK, as the leaders of the G7 nations met in person for the first time since the pandemic began. These countries are united in the view that we should look to not just build our nations back to where they were before the pandemic, but that we should be ambitious in our vision and plan a stronger future. We both believe that part of this vision for the future must include a fundamental shift in how our countries approach the earliest years of life. If we care about how children perform at school, how they succeed in their careers when they are older and about their lifelong mental and physical health, then we have to care about how we are nurturing their brains, their experiences and relationships in the early years before school. This issue should matter to parents and non-parents alike. We can all do our part by valuing the role of mothers, fathers, and caregivers. If we want strong economies and strong societies, we need to make sure that those raising and caring for children get the support they need. We can all make sure that the parents in our lives, the young couple who lives next door, the single mother or father we work with, or the brother or sister raising their first child, feel valued, supported, and cared for. We also need to value those who work with babies and young children. They play an essential part in the future of our communities. The two of us believe that early childhood care and education should be seen as among the defining strategic issues of our time. What would happen if we really followed the science of early childhood and started focusing on the things that would make the biggest difference for children and those who guide them? We could transform the prospects of an entire generation. And I know that was long-winded, but I think it matters. And that is only a couple of paragraphs of this op-ed. So I encourage listeners to take a read of it if you have not yet done so. And last Saturday, a very scaled down Trooping the Color took place at Windsor with Her Majesty being joined by her cousin, the Duke of Kent, for her public birthday celebration. This is a much happier occasion, of course, than the last time the Queen took part in a public ceremony at Windsor, which was for the funeral of her beloved Prince Philip. So what did you think of Trooping the Color this year? It was nice to see it back, even though it was scaled down quite a bit. Yeah, you're right. It was quite scaled down, but it was really fun to see. Uh, You know, I just love the show the British put on when they celebrate. I mean, there's really nothing quite like that. Um... Windsor Castle is absolutely stunning. I've never been, I've only seen it on pictures and in TV, but I just think it's such a classic historical 
castle-y kind of building, you know, it's like a fairy tale sort of place. Um, I loved seeing the guards and the Royal Horse Artillery, um, you know, the, if listeners saw on the Instagram, they had these hats that they were wearing and they were riding their horses and it just felt like, I don't know, like a knight in shining armor that you would see in a movie or something. It was really great. And, um, and then, you know, we saw the fly pass with the red, white and blue colors kind of streaking across the sky. Um, it was just a really kind of a fun, exciting, happy event, which I think it's everyone in good spirits. So for something scaled down, I thought it was quite the show. I love the fly pass. Like I get goosebumps and chills every single time. I love that so much. So the queen was really busy this weekend. So then on Sunday, as we spoke about last week, the queen hosted President Joe Biden and First Lady Dr. Joe Biden at Windsor for tea. The president and the first lady were both very complimentary of her majesty, and that is not shocking. And afterwards, President Biden spoke about how large Windsor is, saying, quote, we could fit the White House in the courtyard, (laughs) and adding that he invited the queen to the White House, so hopefully she will take him up on the offer. So, Rachel, did you hear about the breach of protocol by Joe Biden? No, I did not. I I saw this online and I I had to mention it because we've talked about this kind of stuff on the podcast before. We often um, mention royal protocols and and different rules listeners should know. So if you don't know, uh, listeners, there are a lot of little rules that you should study up on before you meet Her Majesty if you ever have that opportunity. And I don't know that they necessarily are are rules that in today's world you would get called out on if, if you really actually broke protocol, but they're typically done out of respect for the culture and the traditions of the monarchy. And, um, you know, some are really well known, like everyone knows when you meet the queen, you should curtsy and you, you know, we've heard of the royals curtsying even to each other based on, you know, where they are in line to the throne. But apparently, um, Joe didn't take off his sunglasses when he greeted. Oh my gosh, I saw that. I thought that looked really strange, but I didn't know it was a (laughs) protocol. Yeah. So, you know, they were outside. It was like sunny weather and and warm. And he had, I think they were like these aviator sunglasses on or something. And um, so apparently uh, when you meet Her Majesty, it's really important to be able to make eye contact with her, mm-hmm. uh, which makes total sense, you know, but he, he didn't take them off. And then I guess at some point halfway through the ceremony, he got message that he should, and he did end up taking them off. But I thought it was funny. And I thought I'd mention it for listeners. If you ever are in a situation where you get to meet a Royal pop your sunnies in your bag uh, <laughs> and curtsy. <laughs> okay. I knew about the curtsy and I, I hope I would remember to take my sunglasses off, but I saw him on, um, on stage. And I thought that looks really odd. And I mean, I guess maybe subconsciously I knew that that was a breach of protocol. I did, you know, that's, I mean, that, that I agree. Take your yeah, well, sunglasses off. The article, yeah, it mentioned that, you know, Queen Elizabeth, and Joel Biden, neither one had sunglasses on. So I think that's probably why you thought it looked odd because he was the only one standing there with sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so switching gears, speaking of the U.S., coming back to the U.S. for a moment, some Sussex news. Megan has donated 2,000 copies of her new children's book, The Bench, to schools, libraries, community centers, and nonprofit programs. And for his part, Harry announced this week that the Invictus Games after being played in the Hague, Netherlands in 2022, we'll head to Dusseldorf, Germany in September 2023. 
Rachel, I also wanted to mention, um, I just happened to stumble up on this this afternoon, um, a little bit of sad news that was reported today. So the Queen's oldest grandson, Peter Phillips, has finalized his divorce from Autumn Phillips. Um, I don't really know too much about these two, but for some reason, it still just felt like a really sad event and conclusion for their relationship. I know they have two daughters, Savannah and Isla. They're both 10 and 9. Um, and they've been married since 2008, uh, Peter and Autumn. So they released a statement today, the couple did, and, and it said, Mr. Peter Phillips and Mrs. Autumn Phillips are pleased to be able to report that the financial aspects of their divorce have been resolved through agreement with terms of which have been approved and ordered by the high court today. Whilst this is a sad day for Peter and Autumn, they continue to put the well-being and upbringing of their daughters, Savannah and Isla, first and foremost. So thinking of their little family today, I know that's probably tough for Peter, Autumn, and their girls, and it's always sad to get a report like that. Yeah, I hate to hear that. They separated in February 2020, so this has been going on for quite some time. Um, nearly a year and a half. And yeah. so I'm sure that it's a sad day, but they're also happy to just have the legal aspects of this behind them. And so we want to send all our best to them. We obviously hate to hear about any kind of um, split amongst any couple, let alone royal couples. So sending our best to them, that's a tough day. I'm a child of divorce. And so I, I know all too well um, that is hard for the girls. So just sending our love. So, but I do have happy news. I have happy news. Yeah. So that's, that's a bit of sad news. Here's some happy news for you. The queen has a new puppy. <laughs> so after the death of Fergus, which just honestly gutted me, it was just like, gosh, talk about kicking someone when they're down, but her majesty was given a new pup on June 10th on what would have been husband Philip's 100th birthday. So that's very sweet because obviously her family knew that that was going to be a tough day for her. And so what better to make a tough day brighter than with a puppy? So we don't know the puppy's name yet, but we do know the puppy is six weeks old and is a gift from her son, Andrew and granddaughters, Beatrice and Eugenie. So Andrew will never rehab himself in my mind, but giving puppies is a nice, is a nice gesture. And do so, we have confirmation that it's also a Corgi or a Corgi mix? Uh, I, I don't have that confirmation, but I'm willing to bet every dollar I have that yeah. it's a Corgi or a, door, or a Dorgi or whatever they're called. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and the last piece of news for the Royal Rundown today is happy 39th birthday to Prince William on June 21st. That's next Monday. And next week, we'll share some interesting facts you might not know about our future king. So anything else to add before we throw it to the lovely Victoria Murphy? No, I think this has been a really full royal rundown today. We've had so much to talk about. It really has. You know, when we schedule guests, we never know if the news is going to be heavy or light. And it just happened to be really heavy this week. So <laughs> without further ado, let's head to our special guest today, Victoria Murphy, to get an inside look at the exhibit at KP featuring Diana's iconic wedding dress. In our wildest dreams, we are at Kensington Palace right now, taking in the Royal Style in the Making exhibit, 
which opened on June 3rd and runs until January 2nd, 2022, and examines the special relationship between fashion designer and royal client. And because we can't get there yet, we invited someone who has already been to the exhibit and who happens to be a royal expert. We are so happy to have Victoria Murphy on Podcast Royal today to tell us more about the exhibit and make us feel like we're there. Victoria, as many of you know, is one of the top royal commentators globally and in April released the gorgeous book, The Queen, A Life in Pictures, which we recommend all listeners pick up a copy of. I saw Victoria front and center also on the new ABC News documentary, The American Royal Baby, which is on Hulu now. So Victoria, welcome to Podcast Royal. Hi there, thank you for having me. It's so nice for you to be here with us today. Um, Let's go ahead and jump right into these questions. Um, So can you tell us how you became interested in the Royals and really created a career of Royal reporting? I was a journalist um, working at the Mirror when William and Kate became engaged. And at the time they didn't have somebody who was dedicated to covering the royal family. Um, But this was obviously a moment that was a huge explosion of interest in the royals and in this kind of new generation. And, you know, until they became engaged, Kate had been very much sort of, you know, in the background. She hadn't been working royal. She'd been sort of off limits, really. You know, she hadn't been publicly part of the royal family. They'd been very guarded about their privacy and... So this was a complete change because William and Kate were going to be working royals on the world stage. And this was a new chapter. So they, they wanted someone to be dedicated to doing this beat. And I, you know, I was the person who kind of got that gig. And to be honest, at the time, I think I had very mixed feelings about it because I was very, you know, aware that this was, there was a lot of interest in this wedding. It was coming up in just a few months time. It was a lot of pressure. Um, and the, the, you know, there was, that, that was kind of a negative side to it. But then I re- you know, I saw that it was also a massive opportunity. And, I, you know, I sort of haven't looked back really. I think it's, a lot of people will say this, a lot of people who cover the Royals, sort of once you start doing it, I think it is very difficult, a very difficult beat to walk away from because, it is so interesting it's so exciting for a journalist it has it ticks so many of those boxes in terms of you know you've got the kind of the glamour of the royals and they can be sort of quite an entertaining show busy style story at times but then also you know very serious important part of our constitution over here politically and you see that they can make it's such a big difference in so many ways with the work that they do and and I think once you've sort of seen that firsthand and experienced being at events alongside the work that they're doing it you know it, it is it, it's 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 really interesting um it is really interesting and so and there's always I'm always learning new things you know I did that book uh, the Queen of Life and Pictures, and there's there so many things in it that I hadn't written about before because I've been doing this for 10 years, but I was going back to look at the whole of the Queen's life and so many different facets of it and all the different offshoots, like the crown jewels, for example, which you know don't come up regularly in reporting on a daily basis. So there was so there's always more to learn there is always more to learn and you know as we've seen particularly in the last well say the last two years but really the whole time I've been doing it there's always so much happening as well and we're going to ask you about the book more in a little bit but 
a week ago today, the Royal Style in the Making exhibit opened at Kensington Palace. So tell us about it. I read your piece in Town and Country, and so I feel like I've been there, but let our listeners in on the exhibit. You walk in, and what do you see? Well, I think what was so lovely about this exhibition is the fact that it's the first one that we've had the opportunity to go and see in person since the pandemic. So I would regularly, as part of my job, go to the previews of the exhibitions that are coming up. But, you know, we haven't been able to do that. And for Historic Royal Palaces, which is the charity who runs the public openings at Kensington Palace and other palaces including Hampton Court for example this it's been a terrible terrible time you know they've had they've really struggled like a lot of organizations have and so for them to be able to put on this exhibition and to have people physically come and look at it and preview it and now it's open I think they were just so happy to be able to do that I think what's really lovely about this exhibition is it's very intimate it's quite small because it's it's not inside the main building of Kensington Palace it's inside the orangery and the orangery has been newly restored it's a really attractive building quite very close to the main palace and but it's not huge you know so you go in and it's one sort of straight trajectory through the orangery and you're taken on a little journey and this journey is the work of just five designers and the clothes that they have made for just three royals so we're looking at the queen mother Diana, Princess Diana, and Princess Margaret. And the five designers whose work is explored is obviously the Emmanuel's, uh, Princess Diana's wedding dress being the centerpiece. You've also got David Sassoon, who designed Princess Diana's going away outfit on her wedding day. And this is the first time that the wedding dress and the going away outfit have been on display at the same time. It's not the first time the wedding dress has been on display, obviously, um, but it is the first time that it's been on display at Kensington Palace since she died. So it was last on show at Kensington Palace in 1996, and it's been on show in other places around the world, around the country as well. But I, I was talking to a curator, and she said that this is a really you know, pretty rare opportunity because this is a very delicate dress. It's obviously very important to them to preserve it for the long term. So it, it just quite simply cannot be constantly on display. It needs to have a break from the lights. It needs to have a break. So they've got it under quite low lighting. Um, but, you know, people will be able to see it up close. And that's not something that you're going to be able to do any time in the future. So this is, a, this is really exciting. And it wasn't it was amazing to see it, you know? Um, and I mean, I'm someone who, obviously I cover the Royals and, but I wouldn't say that I, um, you know, have a particular fascination or fondness for the fashion. I write about the fashion quite a lot, but it's not sort of an area that I consciously, specifically tap into because I love it, you know? Um, I, I just, it's just part of my job, but to see that dress did feel very special. Um, and you know it's it's re it's it's really interesting because you sort of approach it initially from behind. So the, you see the um, opening of the exhibition, which the the first thing that you see when you go in is some um, prototypes of outfits that have been put together specifically for the exhibition, and then you walk round and you see the back of the dress. So the first thing that you see is the end of the train. And 
I think that's really cleverly done because it kind of has this effect of you because you're not presented with a mannequin straight away it, it does have almost more it brings it to life more and you, you sort of feel you know you're kind of you're imagining this bride walking down the aisle because you're behind and you're seeing the back of the train and it's laid out across the floor all 25 feet of it and then you can walk around and you can see see that dress up close so you've talked about you know how amazing it is to kind of walk up and see this dress. And one thing I was wondering is, um, does it feel larger than life? I mean, I know, you know, it looks so big in the pictures and I've heard it's a very heavy dress. Um, but was it even bigger than you imagined it would be? It definitely wasn't smaller than I imagined it would be. And I think when, when you see things on mannequins, sometimes they do feel that way. Um, so, I mean, for example, the, the, some of the queen the queen mother's outfits um you know she was clearly very petite and you can see that when you look at the outfit that is on display from her and the exhibition and this definitely because it is you know they've got these huge puffy sleeves and this huge train it, it, it I think for me I suppose what I found really interesting was that I have only ever thought about the dress in the context of from a distance because that's I think the curator said, you know, that's the way it was designed to be seen because it, it was designed to suit the occasion, which is a grand occasion and people will see her in her dress, mm -hmm. the silhouette of it. Whereas I hadn't thought very much about the, what it would look like up close and about how much detail was actually involved. And when you see it, you realize that the bodice has so much detail on, there's these mm -hmm. pearls and lace and embroidery and I do, I honestly think I'm not sure I knew that was there. I think when I think of that dress, I think of the puffy sleeves and I think of the full skirt. And I hadn't realized how much detail had, had gone into it. And the other thing that was quite interesting was that it was, um, it, I wouldn't say it was creased, but it definitely was, there was still like, you could see the elements of the fabric having a little bit of texture. And obviously one of the famous things about the dress was the conversation around the creases in it. Um, on the day and 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 I and I we asked the curator about this and she said you know they wouldn't sort of heavily steam a dress like this because because of preserving it so there is going to be that it's not going to be sort of completely completely sheer and you could see there was a kind of texture to the, the skirt fabric um so so yeah it was I think for me it, it was really the fact that there was so much detail that I just hadn't I just didn't hadn't thought about and is, is very much there and you really get a very good look at that when you go to the exhibition. Tell us about that ball gown worn by Princess Margaret in 1964. That's a beautiful gown and a gown that I really knew nothing about before this exhibit opened. Yeah, exactly. So this is sort of the last thing that you see in the exhibition. Um, and it's, you know, a really kind of, striking dress and it's uh, it, it's it's what's interesting about it is because obviously she wore it in 1964 but it's not of the time it's absolutely not at all a 60s dress it's the Georgian style dress and it's very theatrical and it's interesting that it's been included because it was designed by a theatrical designer Oliver Messel who I have to say I was not particularly familiar with and as I've said you know fashion is not sort of my conscious like 
obsession royal fashion but a lot most of the big name designers who designed all the time for the royals obviously um I've heard of them and written about them because of the job I do and and so I thought it was an interesting inclusion and I suppose it's a reminder really that the royals you know, there, there, there is this element of theatricalness about what they do in a lot of cases and they, they attend events and they are the, the star attraction at these events. Um, and sometimes that calls, you know, for an incredibly grand dress and that's very much what, what this dress is. I've read a little bit about there being uh, fabric swatches as part of the exhibition and, and notes uh, to designers. And I'm wondering if, as you looked through all of these parts of the exhibition, if there's anything that really stood out to you the most or was most memorable to you. So I think one of the things that people will really like to see is once you've looked at the dress, there's a sort of case next to it, which has a lot more behind the scenes information about how the dress was put together and there's sketches there's bits of fabric and um, there's also in the section about her going away dress there's also letters from Diana to designer David Sassoon who designed her going away dress and kind of things like that that I think will make people perhaps feel a bit more connected to the process which is what the exhibition is supposed to be about it's supposed to be about the process um, and I mean, talking to the curator, she was, you know, she, she had so many really fascinating stories. And I, I sort of, I presume that they are featured in the exhibition somewhere. There's a video of David Sassoon who talking about his process. Um, and the curator told us, you know, a really fascinating story, which I put in my town and country article, which was about when, even though David Sassoon became one of her go-to designers and she worked with him a lot the first time that she actually went to his boutique in London after she became engaged um it you know did things didn't go quite so well so she went into the shop and the sales assistant you know Diana didn't know it seems exactly what she was looking for and the sales assistant um manning the shop sort of was according to the curator, you know, perhaps keen to get home. And she said to Diana, why don't you go down to Harrods and they'll probably have something that's more what you're after. And so Diana did. And then it turned out that she wore that outfit for her official engagement photograph. So obviously, um, you know, a very frustrating situation, I imagine, for any designer to be in. Um, but kind of, you know, bits of information like that, that, as I said, even though I've done this job for a long time, there's just so many stories out there. There's so much behind the scenes information. And I think for people who are interested in the, the behind the scenes information about the fashion, this is exactly the kind of exhibition where you're, you're going to, you know, you're going to pick up lots and lots of interesting stuff. I've got to find a way to get to Kensington Palace because this <laughs> is, this is so in my wheelhouse and right up my alley. I am just like salivating over here, over every detail, Victoria, that you're giving us. So did, I know when I read the the description of the exhibit on the website, it said that the exhibition would include some surprises for visitors. So did anything you saw surprise you? Interesting question. I sort of want to say yes, because that feels like I should say yes, but I suppose I think I, it, it was what I expected, but I, but I expected it to be good and it was, and I expected it to have lots of detail, lots of information and it did. And there, were, there was lots of things that I hadn't known before. I didn't know, for example, that there was a piece of Queen Mary's lace 
that was sewn into Diana's um, wedding dress. I didn't know that the designer who designed the Queen Mother's coronation gown that she wore in 1937, um, Madame Handley Seymour is not someone that I was particularly familiar with. And so th that, that was really interesting because obviously we all know Norman Hartnell who designed the Queen's coronation dress and who was a very, very famous wow. designer. But there are, there are so many people out there and so many interesting designers and designs out there that just introducing me to things that I hadn't seen before. Um, so I, I'm sure that even if people know a lot about the royals, and even if they know a lot about royal fashion, I still feel that there's always, it feels like there's always more to discover, as we've mm -hmm. said, in covering this, this area. And there's definitely something special just about seeing it in person. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's it, because as I said, the curator said, we, you know, they won't, this won't be a frequent thing. And obviously the dress is on loan from William and Harry. It belongs to the brothers now. And it's normally kept, I was told, at Windsor Castle, um, in storage in Windsor Castle. And so this idea as well, I suppose, you know, you could say it's, it, it's quite poignant, really, because it's on display at Kensington Palace for the first time since her death, which means that it's the first time that the brothers have loaned it to Kensington Palace for the exhibition. Um, and, you know, it's at a time when they're obviously, you know, that they are... Um, yeah, they, there's been significant disagreements between those brothers, but clearly on, you know, on decisions like this, um, they're still capable of being very united when it comes to things like this. So I think, I, I think there's, we just don't know when it's, when it's going to be a, when you're going to be able to see it again. And I think there is something special about it being back at Kensington Palace, um, which of course was her home. And yeah. at a time when we are talking about her, we are remembering her because we've got, the anniversary, what would have been her 60th birthday coming up, we're expecting a statue to be unveiled very close to this exhibition um, in the gardens. And so I think it's the, it's just, if you can go and see it and you're interested, then if you're interested, then, you know, why on earth would you not take this opportunity to go, to go and see that dress in this location at this time? <laughs> All right, our last question for you, Victoria, is this. Tell us more about your book, The Queen, A Life in Pictures. What inspired you to write it? Well, I mean, it was it's a book that uh, Town & Country very much wanted to produce. And I think um, it's, it's, it's a really nice time to be doing a book about the Queen. Um, obviously, we know that she, you know, she's in the twilight of her reign. We've got no idea how long her reign will be, but it's been we've had a long, long time already passed. Um, and there's certainly less than that to go. And um, and I think with the Platinum Jubilee coming up next year, obviously the first monarch to reach 70 years, um, just it's there's, there's so much to say. There's so much to say about her. And I think sort of chronicling her life, but in a way that also allows you to look at her role and everything that comes with that, as well as the person that she is. And those two things have become very much intertwined. And so we... I came up with sort of 10 thematic chapters um, and they are a mixture really of the things that she does in her official position, her role, her responsibilities. And it was really important to me to be able to throughout the book convey the magnitude of her position, what, what she does, her position within the Commonwealth, her all of the different responsibilities that she has, as well as all the places that she's been and all the things that she's done. 
but then I also wanted to look at um, her as a person and the things that she loves and her dogs and her horses and her family life and and so you know I really I really like to think that we did that and I really like to think that we absolutely covered everything which was no you know to get everything in there and to make sure that there's the, every element of her reign is explored in some way um but I think yeah I just think it, I think it's just so she's just seen and done so much and I think I just I really wanted to make sure that we conveyed that conveyed that balance of of moments throughout her life in, in visually um well, it's a stunning book and all of our listeners should absolutely get a copy. Victoria, thank you so much for being on the program today. We appreciate your time and thank you for the insight into the exhibition. Yes, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. That was such a great interview. I enjoy talking to Victoria. What did you think, Rachel? Yeah, I learned so much. Thank you, Victoria, for helping us feel like we were there. Obviously, Jessica and I are stateside and unable to get there, at least not yet. And so it it's so nice to be able to feel like we were there and to give our listeners that too. So thank you, Victoria, for chatting with us. We really enjoyed spending time with you. Absolutely. I hope our listeners learned something. We certainly did. And I hope um, if you are able to make the trip that you're inspired to go check it out. We're going to go ahead and close out this episode today. Thank you so much for joining us on uh, Podcast Royal. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Podcast Royal. Email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail. and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.